0: Hebrews 13, 7 through 19. Before I read, uh, join me for a word of prayer. Father, bless this reading of your word. Instruct and enliven our hearts that we, your new covenant people, would live lives worthy of the gospel today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 13, 7 through 19. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. And bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good. And to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, this is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> As we draw nearer uh, to the conclusion of this wonderful letter that we've been journeying through since January, <laughs> holy smokes, we're, not, we're, we're, we're reminded in this passage that the writer of this letter is not only writing to his Jewish Christian audience as an authoritative voice on matters of the new covenant. But he's also writing as a personal friend, as a brother in Christ. We see this in verse 19 where he asks, the writer of Hebrews asks the Jewish Christians to whom this letter was first written, he asks them to earnestly pray that he might be reunited with them soon. He, he wants to embrace them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to urge them face to face to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Now remember with me, the context of what... So it's for these Jewish Christians, first century, probably AD 66, possibly in Rome. They were facing external pressures of persecution against the faith. And they were also very likely facing internal pressures. Family members who were really in step with Judaizing. And they thought Jesus was a kook. Many of these Jewish Christians, because of these pressures, internal and external, many of these Jewish Christians were returning to the law of Moses and Old Covenant rituals that Christ had brought to completion. That and... They were beginning to segregate themselves from the other members of their church who were were not going back to the law of Moses. But who were rightly insisting that the old covenant has passed and the new has come. By God's grace, here's the new covenant. By God's grace, through repentant faith... Repentant faith in the perfect life and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection of Christ by grace through faith in that we are saved, sanctified, redeemed unto eternal life. Period. This is the new covenant. And last Sunday, as we were in chapter 13 verses 1 through 6, last Sunday in our consideration of that passage... The writer of Hebrews laid out for us five ways that we, as new covenant people, are to worship God on new covenant terms. Instead of abstaining from pork and refusing to mow our lawns on Saturday, we worship God when we love one another earnestly from the heart. We worship God when we are hospitable to others, when we hurt with those who are hurting, when we honor the sanctity of marriage, and when we find our deepest delight and comfort and security in him. And now, in our passage, that's what we considered last week. And now in this passage this morning, the writer of Hebrews, I don't know if you recognized it, but he just gave us four more ways that we, as new covenant Christians, are to worship God on new covenant terms. And this will be our outline if you're a note taker. Again, it's a bit wordy, but I'll repeat as we go along. Number one, we worship God when we take note of and follow godly leaders. Number two, we worship God when we adhere to sound doctrine. Number three, we worship God when we bear the reproach of Christ number four, we worship God when we declare and demonstrate the goodness of Christ. I'll repeat those as we go. If I forget, just remind me. Number one, we worship God when we take note of and follow godly leaders. Verse seven, remember your leaders, those who faithfully taught you from the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, for these Jewish Christians, again, the first audience, the first recipients of this letter, some of their former pastors had already been sent to prison or even martyred. And as disheartening as that is, as as frightening as that would be, verse 8 offers great consolation. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts that there. It's so so, so as to say, you know what? Christ will not abandon his church. Look, when faithful pastors depart, when they're sent to prison, when they're martyred, when some other hindrance removes them from this particular flock, when when, when faithful pastors depart, Christ will not abandon his church. He will, in fact, raise up more godly men who aren't just willing to teach God's word but who are themselves willing to obey God's word even when it costs them their livelihood. Pastors like this that I've just described should be taken note of and followed. Pastors like this should be watched and listened to and mimicked. Now, in today's online world, we have the remarkable blessing of being able to glean from many gifted pastors from many different areas. But the writer of Hebrews, I believe, would thoroughly urge us we mustn't allow our appreciation for John Piper, John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, you name it. We mustn't allow our personal appreciation for those very faithful preachers to keep us from paying close attention to the pastors God has assigned to us here. Now, no doubt this is a little bit awkward for me to preach on. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, especially if you are a member of Oaks, you, you, you must have your eye on and your ear open too. Your pastor's right here. It's a little weird to say, but I have to say it. We're an expositional church. We pre- we say what it says, right? So I'm saying what it says. Now, here, let me let me let me go this route. If you are here, if you've been here for any length of time, especially if you are a member, if you discern that Pastor Seth and I, and any future pastors we might have here at Oaks, if you discern that we are indeed qualified. For the office of elder pastor according to 1st Timothy 3 and Titus 1. If you indeed see that we don't just talk the talk of God's word, but that we walk the walk of God's word. If you see that we're transparent and honest about our own sin. And that we don't have any skeletons piled up in our closets. If you see us sacrificially loving our wives and keeping diligently our children submissive to us. If you see that we properly manage our homes and are hospitable and are self-controlled, look, the list goes on. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, you can read it. If you see that these things are so about any and all pastors who are here at this church, then God would have you to give your pastors the benefit of the doubt when we say something you may not want to hear. Here's an example. Brother, it's wonderful that you have a place far away to get away, whether on the beach or a lakefront or in the desert or in the mountains, I don't care. It's awesome that you may have a place to get away for a few months of the year, but guess what? Brother, while you're there, you have to plug in with a Bible-preaching church. You have to, and you have to serve there, and you have to give there, because when we are at the beach or in the mountains or in the middle of the desert, discipleship does not stop. That isn't always easy to hear. But if you see your pastors here are indeed, when we look it up, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, they seem to be qualified, seem to be humble, seem to be outright, forthright about their own sinfulness and not whacking everybody on the head like a bunch of ruthless jerks. Well, then give us the benefit of the doubt when we say something that maybe you don't want to hear. Here's another example. Sister, Can't imagine how difficult the situation is that you're in right now, but you cannot attend this particular wedding because this particular union is particularly dishonoring to the God you belong to. You can and must pursue relational opportunities with those individuals. You can and must seek every way to serve them and be generous toward them. But you, dear Christian, have been set apart from this world in holiness and you cannot lend your affirming presence to that which grieves the heart of God. Verse 17. When... When our pastors, and, and Seth and I, Pastor Seth and I, uh, have, have a tremendous blessing. We're already forging relationship with the Treasuring Christ Together Network pastors, and they are already pastoring us. We have someone to submit to. Of course, Jesus, but also the network pastors that we trust. So when we discern that leaders, pastors are godly, that they don't just talk the talk, but that they walk the walk. Here, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. And here is the part that absolutely makes me shudder. In fact, my kids have started to call it in my house a death murmur. When I'm in the shower and I am struck by the fact that I am going to give, and Pastor Seth is going to give an account to Holy God for the way we lead, I go, oh, out loud. It's a joke around our house, but it. Obey your leaders and submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls as those, Chris, Seth, hear this, who will have to give an account to God. These are the parts of the job that I, I mean, it, I don't want to do this. Pray for us, verse 18. Don't you love that transition? Please, pray for us. In the same way, look, this is so I think an illustration that comes to my mind as I reflect on this particular verse. Look, we all have a qualified doctor, I think most of us do. And we all submit to our qualified doctor when they tell us that we need to do something in order to lower our cholesterol, right? We all probably have a qualified car mechanic, right? And we all probably do what they tell us to do or as they instruct us when they say, hey, you, know, you really gotta change your oil once in a while you need to change out the air we do as that qualified person is urging us to do because we know ultimately they're going to be accountable in some way shape or form but it's all the more true with pastors i mean we're so quick to yeah i'll do anything that my doctor tells me i trust him and maybe that's the breakdown in most churches today is when the congregants don't trust their pastors how on earth would you listen when a hard word is given and if in fact you don't trust us here, I would urge you, man, find a, find a church wherein the word is preached, and you and you can trust those guys. We need to submit to the instruction of qualified pastors. Point number one: we actually worship God. It is an act of worship when we take note of and follow godly leaders. Number two, we worship God when we adhere to sound doctrine. Verse nine, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods. Foods have not benefited those devoted to them. So again, context, similar similar to the Christians in the churches of Galatia, if we were to read the, the letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote. These Jewish Christians here, likely in Rome, are being bombarded by Judaizers. There's no other way to to, to to call it. They're being bombarded by Judaizers who were insisting that in order to live lives that were truly pleasing to God, well, they needed to come back under the terms of the old covenant, especially the Mosaic food laws. Now, for for if we were first century Jews, that teaching likely, it, it, it wouldn't... It wouldn't seem so diverse and strange. We'd be kind of familiar with it. But the writer of Hebrews has already spilled a lot of ink insisting that Christ has not shed his blood on the cross to extend the old covenant or to empower our observance of it. Christ took the cross and shed his blood to ratify a whole new and superior covenant and as new covenant Christians, you and I aren't set apart from our believing, na- uh, our, for, let me say that again, you and I are not set apart as holy from our unbelieving neighbors and coworkers by our refusal to eat pork or shellfish. Because we do not worship God according to the tabernacle food rituals. In fact, verse 10 is sobering. If you and I were to insist to one another that we do that, we go back and serve the tent and we eat accordingly, verse 10 communicates that we actually forfeit our right to eat from the altar of the Lord's Supper. Because the lamb has already been sacrificed, and it's done. As New Covenant Christians, what makes us worshipfully set apart as God's own in the midst of an unbelieving world is the miraculous and effectual grace of God that produces in us the fragrant aroma that the law of Moses was powerless to produce. And here's the fragrant aroma that by the Holy Spirit in us is produced in us a hallowed heart love for God and a sacrificial servant love for the people around us. A kosher diet doesn't strengthen us for this, but the sound doctrine of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ does strengthen us for this. And this is why you and me, you and I, we must study the gospel we must meditate on the gospel. We must preach to ourselves the gospel. And then on Wednesday or Sunday when we, when we link up with our community group, we've had a month apart, we've got to preach the gospel to one another there. We've got to gospel each other. We've got to be creatures of the gospel 24-7. And the gospel, this is what gives us strength. Believer, in and of yourself, you are unable to achieve the perfect righteousness that is required of those who would rise from the dead to dwell with God forever. And so here, here, here's where the good stuff, you're unable in your own strength. This actually applies to every single one of us in the room. We are unable, unable. So when we recognize our inability and we acknowledge our neediness, neediness and acknowledge our poverty of spirit, then, 1,000 times a day, we get to entrust ourselves completely to the atoning death and vindicating resurrection of Christ. After all, he and he alone is our hope in life and death. Day by day, this is where sound doctrine gets important. We've got to understand what the gospel is and is not. Day by day, we've got to have our Bibles open or our Dwell Bible app singing into our ears. And we've got to be, as God's people, familiarizing ourselves with the sound words of Scripture. This is imperative for all believers, but if you are a member here at Oaks, we are a congregational church. We depend upon our members familiarizing themselves with the sound words of Scripture so that you are able to discern When, God forbid, I start preaching a gospel that is contrary to the one that has saved you, you could lump into this category, the prosperity gospel, which I actually think is just an odd twisting of the old covenant. The old covenant was, if you do this, people of Israel, then I will prosper you and protect you. And now, in today's day and age, we have a lot of people claiming, he's going to prosper me if I do this, that, and the other. And they do it in a different sense, but that's a bit of a take on the old covenant. That's not not the covenant that we're under. How about the open and affirming gospel? That's all the rage today, even here in Worcester. How about the live and let live gospel? These things all feel good, like a scratch on the back, but nobody's being conformed to Jesus. Jesus. How about works-based righteousness gospel? You just absolutely go around slamming each other with, with huge, copious amounts of legalism, judging one another left and right. There is a place for judgment, for healthy judgment in the church, but not that kind. Not, not the legalistic kind that says, I'm doing well in this area, so I'm gonna absolutely smack you around and judge you left, right, and center because you're not doing the exact same thing I am. By the way, you need to be earning your salvation by doing that better, right? It is literally worship to God when we sharpen our understanding of God's word so that we're able to discern when something is being preached that doesn't agree with the sound, with the teaching of God's word, and then we're able to defend it. We're able able to to actually oppose unsound teaching, unbiblical teaching. So I guess that, 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 that's a bit of a teaching point right here. Point two, we, we worship God when, when we adhere to sound doctrine. And to, to adhere to it requires that we know what that is. And that's part of why we get together on, on a weekly basis. But brothers and sisters, we also have we have God's word right in front of us. And it should be right in front of us throughout the week. Number two, we worship God when we adhere to sound doctrine. Number three, we worship God when we bear the reproach of Christ. Verses uh, 11 through 13, For, for the bodies of those animals were sacrificed, whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, the bodies of those animals are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. And bear the reproach he endured. In these verses, we're, we're reminded, you know, the writer of Hebrews has really sung this song over and over and over. We're reminded how the old covenant sacrifices foreshadowed the once and for all atoning sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. So uh, we've gone over this a lot in this series, but if you're just joining us on the Day of Atonement, once a year in ancient Israel, The Levitical high priest would sacrifice a bull and then after sprinkling its blood behind the curtain within the Holy of Holies, he would then burn its body outside the city border. just so happens (laughs) on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, the Levitical high priest Caiaphas, not ironically, he sent Jesus outside the city gate to Golgotha and as righteous blood poured forth from Jesus's wounds the curtain of the holy of holies was torn in two Caiaphas unbeknownst to himself at the time Caiaphas had performed the very sacrifice that God had ordained to bring about the completion Of the old covenant and in climactic crescendo to usher in the new covenant whereby sinners are forever atoned by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews urges us: since Jesus he he suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify us through his blood. Now here is here's the call. Let us, let us go to him there. Outside the camp, let's bear with him the reproach that he bore. It's, so, it's sobering. Every, every true Christian, every, every genuine follower of Jesus needs to be ready to be treated with the kind of contempt that Jesus was treated. If, if, if in Jesus' day, if the self-righteous Pharisees despised him because he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes don't be surprised dear Christian when self-righteous professing Christians accuse you of being lawless and worldly when you as a compassionate missionary engage your gay neighbors don't be surprised dear Christian that the self righteous professing Christian is going to label you lawless. At the same time, dear Christian, if Jesus was despised by many open and affirming sinners, where when Jesus said, All right, now pick up your mat and go and sin no more, go and sin no more, when he was despised, by that. We have to understand, we, we, we're not to be surprised when the open and affirming professing Christians of our day who've been eroded by the culture accuse us of being legalistic. The legalistically minded are going to accuse us of being lawless, and the lawlessly minded are going to accuse us of being legalistic. Can't win following Jesus. We're not going to fit in either camp. We're not. We will always be legalistic to some, and we will always be lawless to some. We're not going to fit in either camp. But that's okay. Verse 14. For here, this isn't our lasting city. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't where we're, we're going to be. I mean, like, yes, creation will be renewed and we will live here, but not in this. This, this city is, is being given over to moth and rust. That's why we're looking forward to the celestial city, the, the city that is to come at the return of Christ. That's where we, we truly will fit in. <laughs> Jesus himself is outside the camp and therefore it's actually a pretty good thing. when when we feel the weight of being outside the camp and we bear the reproach for being outside of of the camp. All of that. Point number three. We worship God when, in fact, we bear the reproach. Let me just encourage you for a second. Are you bearing reproach in your workplace right now? I mean, if not, that brings up a whole different question. If you never face any reproach whatsoever, maybe ask yourself, Am I living truly like Jesus? But if you are, brother or sister, be encouraged. It is, in fact, an act of worship to bear the reproach of the Savior whose name you bear. Be of good heart. Be of good cheer. Be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Point number four. We worship God when we declare and demonstrate the goodness of Christ. Verses 15 and 16. Through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Let us declare his merciful name with our lips and let us demonstrate his goodness with our lives by doing good to others and sharing with others the blessings that God has given to us. Now let's consider this exhortation through an evangelistic lens. When it comes to worshiping God, by reflecting the goodness of Christ to the people in our spheres of influence, we must declare what we demonstrate, and we must demonstrate what we declare. It can be easy to prioritize the one over the other. Here's an illustration to help understand what we're talking about. If all I ever do with my neighbors on my street, if all I ever do is bring in their trash can from time to time from the curb and shovel snow off their sidewalk from time to time and give their kids popsicles after i've checked with the parents of course from time to time these are all good and generous uh, generous sacrifices of praises to god they really are sharing what you have being good to others these are good and generous sacrifices of praises Sacrifices of praise to God for sure, but I in my neighborhood must not stop at only demonstrating the goodness of Christ. I must also declare with my mouth the goodness of Christ. This is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And this is what the Apostle Paul is getting after in Romans chapter 10 when he says, How else will our neighbors call upon the name of Christ and be saved if we don't explicitly tell them the good news that Christ affords? There's showing and sharing. Sharing and showing. Declaring and demonstrating demonstrating and declaring. If all I ever do in my neighborhood with a bullhorn, you know, at seven in the morning, if all I ever do is shout across the street to my neighbors, hey, you, this world is full of trouble, but Jesus is good. Repent from your sins and trust him before it's too late. Okay, bye, right? I mean, the Lord can use front porch prophets, I suppose, (laughs) But won't I and won't you, won't we really be cooking with fire when we embrace what's being said in 15 and 16, praying for opportunities to not only demonstrate the goodness of Jesus to our neighbors, but praying for opportunities to declare the goodness of of Jesus to our neighbors wouldn't it be great if while I declared the goodness of Jesus to my neighbors I were demonstrating at the same time his goodness for my neighbors to see and then and here's what Lindsay and I pray for all the time with our kids even I'm I'm so looking for it's already starting in our neighborhood and I hope that it is in yours or that it possibly will come about but I'm I'm I'm, I'm hopeful for that moment well i I, yeah, I brought your, your, your dumpster in from the curb. Yeah, I, I, I shoveled off that, that part of the sidewalk. Of course, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. It's my joy to serve you in, in some semblance of the same way that Jesus has served me. You, you you know me, neighbor, you know what I do? That I, I, I have a little bit of an in because they know that I'm a pastor, so I get to use that a lot. But there are other ways, where right? Yeah, so, all right, neighbor, I, yeah. You know, though, and maybe you don't know. I, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. And I, I just simply want to, I want to treat you in some of the same way that he has treated me. He laid down his life for me and you. And I want to do the same. I want to be a good neighbor as best as possible. if there are other ways that I can serve you, please let me know because I want you to see in me I I belong to Jesus. I do. And now that it's totally weird, how about you come on over and let's have a hot dog or something, right? (laughs) Declaring the name of Christ while doing for others as Christ has done for us, I really think that that's the epitome of worship that pleases God. So last week, as New Covenant Christians, we were reminded we worship God when we love one another. That's gonna take us the rest of our lives to figure that one out, right? By God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, we will. When we're hospitable to others, that's harder for some than it is others. When we hurt with those who are hurting, Nobody really likes to do that, but this is how we worship the Lord, and it's how we mourn with those who mourn, and it's how we enjoy the blessing of being a family together. When we honor the sanctity of marriage, that is under absolute attack in our culture today. When we find our deepest delight and comfort and security in God, that's a, that's a prayerful thing every moment of every day. And, then, and then in this passage, we've just been reminded that we worship God when we take note of and follow after godly leaders. We worship God when we study the gospel, when we meditate on it, when we study his word. Go on a run, if you're an exerciser, you go on a run, listen to the word, listen to it, become a creature of the word so that you will be able to help guard this church and bolster this church as we are all trying to discern what is true and right and false and and, and not. We, We worship God when we adhere to sound doctrine. We worship God when we bear the reproach of Christ. If it's not happening to you in your workplace right now, it, it, it will. It should be in some way, shape, or form. It's coming. It's coming for all of us. Don't say that you didn't hear it here. Reproach is coming. Let's anticipate it. And let's be asking for the Holy Spirit to, to gird us, bolster and prepare, and to give us even a, a, a joy, a strange joy when we share the reproach of Christ. And number four, we look today. We worship God when we declare and demonstrate the goodness of Christ. Yes, we do. And Lord willing, there will be opportunity for us to show and to share the goodness of Christ, even today, with our, with our neighbors. And maybe, Lord willing, tomorrow with our coworkers. This is the front line of mission for us. And we can and will walk in this because... Christ, by his death and resurrection, has not only allowed us, but by the empowering of His holy Spirit in us, we can. we can worship Him according to these new covenant terms. We can be pleasing Aromas to God. Yes and amen. Let's pray, and then we'll continue to sing. Well, Father, God, huh, pray that you would have blessed the reading and teaching of your word that you would be instructing and enlivening us, that we, your new covenant people, would indeed, in fact, live lives that are worthy of the gospel, yet not I, but through Christ in me, today and forever, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.